Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast. It's actually episode 95. I can't believe it. Your favorite data nerds are back, finally, with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine. I'm Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my uh, partner in crime, Oscar Way, our Deputy Chief Economist. Oscar, say hello to your adoring fans. Hey, Jordan. Hey, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be here to share some good information. Oh, well, I don't know whether it's good information or not, but it's the information, information itself is, is <laughs> correct. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, we do have a lot of uh, valuable information to share. Um, and uh, there has been a lot of things that go uh, that went on in the last uh what a month or so and yeah, i apologize definitely. for not being able to be more frequent in sharing some information it's been a pretty uh busy couple of months or so trying to stay on top of all this data yeah i was gonna joke that you know not much going on since the last time we <laughs> uh re- recorded a podcast but you know part of the reason why we've been away is just crunching a lot of numbers looking at the forecast looking at the housing market a um, lot of variables out there and so i think today it makes sense to talk about all of it, right? We're going to talk about the new inflation numbers and how that's translated over on the interest rate front. Of course, we've seen the Fed now make a couple of moves and that's creating all kinds of uncertainty on consumer part, on on the stock market part, right? Financial markets have been very volatile recently. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll we'll finish up by by rounding out with some housing data and just talking about what it all means for us as, as real estate professionals. But I, I think it makes sense to start with the CPI, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think inflation is the thing that's really um, kind of that, that common thread, I think, that runs across um, you know, most of those things that we talked about, rates and, and stock market and even, you know, the consumer confidence front. So what's going on with inflation? Yeah, inflation is definitely capturing a lot of attention lately. You know, if you, uh, you know, turn on the news and you hear people talking about inflation. Now, um, we, this has not been a topic that talked about, what, three, four years ago because it has been yeah. pretty tame. Right. People who are under 25 years old probably don't hear, you know, inflation in the news much in their whole life. Right. We've been in a era of fairly low and and stable inflation. In fact, prior to the pandemic, it was really hard for the Fed, you know, even with basically a zero percent federal funds rate to create any kind of uh, inflation. So this is new for a lot of folks, but it is significant. It's new for a lot of folks, but it's also quite new for the Federal Reserve, too. Then that's why people are panicking a little bit or freaking out a little bit. Right. You know, the latest number that we have seen was uh, 8.3%. That was the number that's being released for April. Now, just to put some you know, context behind it, uh, before the pandemic, we're, you know, it's safe to say we we're at right around average 2% or so. So. Right. You can see that 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 big difference of you know two between two and eight point three percent that's significant and yeah. that could scare a lot of people. I mean, it scares me a little bit. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean sure. you see it right in your pocketbooks. My cleaner just jacked up prices too, and you know it's everybody's feeling it. So absolutely, and and we are now eight point three in April actually to be uh, 
<laughs> interesting to say, it's actually not the highest that we saw uh, in, in inflation. In fact, right. March was actually, you know, the highest at 8.5. So, you know, it's when you look at 8.3, some people and some of the stock market reactions is that, oh, things are actually slowing down a little bit. We'll you know, we're easing a little yeah. bit now. Mind, you know, keep in mind though, this is just one month. You know, we're just slowing from, you know, 8.5 to 8.3. This is the very first month. That's not a trend. Yeah. That's not a trend. Exactly. So, whether things are going to get better or not, it really depends on a lot of of things. Um, You know, gas prices, food, um, obviously, used vehicle. We all know that, you know, supply of uh, vehicles or or buying cars is pretty tough right now. Um, And we're going into the summer, a lot of people traveling, airfares. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of there's kind of two two pieces to the inflation story, right? Mm -hmm. Because on the one hand, there's all this supply chain stuff that you mentioned, gas prices and a war in Russia that's creating all kinds of, uh, you know, changes there. And I think, you you know, car prices and even lumber and things like that can all be lumped into the kind of um, logistics supply chain story. But then we've also got this kind of resumption of, of more normal economic activity in the wake of this crisis and i think mm-hmm. you know you mentioned airfares which i think were up almost 20 percent on a year-to-year basis last month and and or actually even more than that right that was the annualized yes. monthly growth mm-hmm. it was like 33 percent over the past year but people are going out they're spending money to go on vacation to go out and and you know kind of do cultural activities, go to games, go to shows, exactly. go to the ballet. Uh, and that is driving up prices in the service sector and just kind of across the board and wage and housing and all of that other stuff that that is like less transitory over the, over the short run, right? Because this is kind of a, a resumption of uh, more normal activities, whereas the supply chain eventually starts to, to turn itself back on. Yeah, and I'm glad that you talked about the supply chain. Uh, we thought uh, six months ago or maybe a year ago, a lot of economists believed, okay, the supply chain issue will probably be resolved by now. But at the same time, at that time, we actually did not realize that there will be you know, a shutdown in China also right. because of their zero tolerance on COVID cases. And it's still go ongoing. And hopefully that will be resolved very soon or get better very soon. Um, and then it opens up you know, some of the supply or resolve some of the supply chain issue. But right. the other issue that you also... Uh, uh, briefly mentioned was you know the 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 wage growth the 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 sub labor supply issues that yeah. we thought is going to be you know it's, it will get better now an employment rate looks fine if you just look at that unemployment rate it's below four percent it's going back to the pre-pandemic level right. but if you look at the participation rate I mean, we're still, you know, way below or not way below, but we're not on par with uh, what we saw in uh, uh, the pre-pandemic level. Right. And and that is the big challenge. Right. And that's why, you know, we were kind of um, slow on our our supply chain impacts as well. Right. You look at at the expiration of like very key federal government programs, whether it's forbearance, right, the eviction moratorium and things like that, the expanded unemployment benefits, the pandemic unemployment benefits. There was all of these things that were being pumped in that were kind of helping folks, you know, uh, kind of delay or prolong the decision to go back to work. But, you know, the assumption was, at least on our part, it, it turned out to be a faulty one, was that people, you know, at the ex- expiration of some of those benefits, we would see 
you know, folks go back to work in in bigger numbers. And I think we underestimated the child care mm-hmm. um, component, right, where, you know, the just the lack of we got a housing supply issue, but we've got a child care supply issue as well. And and the cost of, of daycare and things like that has really diminished the value of work, especially for folks at the lower end of the income spectrum. And, and so for all those reasons, I think we're seeing that labor force participation rate you know, so so much slower to come back than what we originally anticipated. And that's kind of lending itself to this wage inflation, right, is that folks who do want to work are are in the driver's seat for the first time in a, a very long time in terms of, you know, still about a six million person gap in the latest jolts data um, between the folks who want to work and and actually the number of jobs that we need to fill right so absolutely and and you said it you know and you name it correctly you know even though we are seeing you know wage growth and you know the unemployment rate is at a low level and people are uh, employers are paying a higher rate but you know even with the wage growth uh, of let's say five or six percent increase uh, which is you know uh, historically Robust. compared to historical yeah. numbers is high but if you look at the inflation number raising, uh, you know, high uh, elevated at eight percent, that really doesn't mean that you know people are really earning um, more income and more real income. Quote right. Unquote. Yeah. No. I mean, we're we're ultimately getting poorer too, right? And you talk, you you throw in a kind of more volatile stock market on top of that, mm-hmm. where the Dow's come down quite a bit, and Nasdaq and S and P have followed it. Um, then they're kind of there's a wealth effect there as as well. And I think that does expose us on the macroeconomic front, right? Because we've been very much consumer driven up to this point. And, and, you know, I think that that is something that, you know, could cause consumers if you're look, if you're poor, if your money doesn't stretch as far, then just, you know, simply mathematically, you can't maintain the same level of consumption unless you're drawn mm-hmm. down your savings, or or running up your your credit card, which brings me to kind of our our next segment, right, is that the cost of putting it on the credit card now and, and you know, putting it on a HELOC or whatever, um, you, you, you know, folks do to maintain levels of spending is much more expensive now because we had the Fed now raise rates for the second time this year. They did the, the you know, 50 basis point jump that they said they were going to do at the, you know, at the meeting. I, I guess that was almost three weeks ago now, right? Know, yeah, and, it is. And, and that's telling in, in the marketplace as well, right? That's already had a big impact on bond rates. And of course, it's impacted mortgage rates as well, which are, are continuing their kind of upward trajectory, at least in the Freddie Mac numbers, which still have to kind of catch up to where the dailies have been. Yeah, you know, the Federal Reserve have been, you know, trying to control this inflation issue by, you know, there are a couple means for them to control inflation, raising rates is one, you know, uh, doing the quantitative easing is another one, um, tightening up their their, their financial, um, and they have been trying to make it, you know, pretty uh, transparent. And they announced it beforehand that they will raise rates this year. Yeah. Obviously, a few months ago, we did not expect inflation to be flare up so high. And so, you know, people's expectations on what the Federal Reserve will do uh, also has increased. Um, uh, and now a lot of people expect the uh, Fed funds rate to end 
um, at the end of the year, maybe at around uh, closer to 2% rather than what their expectation was, which was below uh, 1% before. Right. And that's why interest rates have been rising currently. I think, you know, the, the latest number that we uh, looked at maybe end of last week, in, you know, mid of May was around 5.3 for the 30-year fixed rate. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you were to tell me uh, a year ago that we will hit 5 5.3, 5.5% by mid of 2023, I will probably, or 2022, I'll probably tell you that we'll probably won't get there, but yeah. we're already there. Um, right. And, and same thing, you know, if you'd have told me last year that we'd still have 6 million people sitting on the couch, even after the, <laughs> you know, expiration of all these, um, you know, more generous benefits, I, I would have told you no as well. But yet here, here we are. And I think, you know, it, you know, the good news, I think, is that you mentioned probably going up to something around a 200 basis point, or maybe even two and a half by the end of this year. Uh-huh. Um, you know, most of that has already been priced right. into mortgage rates, right? The market has tried to get ahead of that, at least somewhat, because even when the Fed did their very first rate hike, which they only took the target you know, Fed funds rate up 25 basis points, the the mortgage rates and the 10-year actually went up by almost the full 200 basis points that we expect this year now. Yeah. And, and you know, if we, when we looked at, when we looked at the, uh, the trajectory um, that uh, started with at the beginning of the year, yeah. the interest rate trajectory, you can actually see that, you know, yes, there in the first three months, three or four months or so, it shot up quite significantly. But in the last three, four weeks, you know, we have been seeing rates, you know, kind of fluctuating between 5.1 to 5.3. So, you know, that, that level is, that, that interest rate level is leveling off a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's kind of plateauing and, and the people have already priced it in. Now, we do believe that it might actually end up higher. You yeah. know, before the end of the year, that there's no doubt about it, but it's not going to uh, go at, you know, uh, search up as fast as what we have seen in the past few months or so. Uh, but interest rate at five and a half percent or six percent, it does have an impact on cost of borrowing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we just put out our our sales and price, our monthly sales and price. Right. And we have a slide in there, which I always mm-hmm. love, but it's the you know increase in in the median price compared right. to the increase in the payment on the median price tome, which actually takes into account not just the increase in prices but whatever happens with rates and i think you said that was up like 35 percent which is close to 40 percent now i mean it's not quite there yet but 35 percent increase compared to last year that's pretty significant you know in real term in dollar term it means probably about uh a thousand five to two thousand dollars ish or so i mean i'm 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 just calculating in my head but right you know that's that's a monthly number. Yeah. That's a monthly yeah. number. That means you know each year you have to increase it by maybe about ten thousand ish or so. Right. Significant and, and check affordability is a big challenge already, right? And and now we're looking at kind of the one-two punch of both the high cost and now um, higher higher interest rates, which probably right. is one of the reasons maybe why we're starting to see folks, um, you know, at least kind of contemplating or or being open to the idea of of different types of mortgage products right everybody up to this point has been in a 30-year fixed rate loan for the vast vast majority of loans that have been originated over the last even decade i would say Um, but lately 
we're starting to see, you know, more arms being mm -hmm. advertised. I'm even getting like spam emails saying no doc loans, <laughs> like as low as 5% and stuff like that, which I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and I was getting like, you know, kind of trauma again from 2006 and seven, but, but, you know, even just like kind of actual, you know, five, one arm loans um, being originated as well. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at, you know, the difference between um, uh, 5.1 um, ARM versus 30-year fixed rate, as far as the interest rates are concerned, there is a, you know, difference. Uh, a year ago, there may not be because rates have been really, uh, was really low. But lately, you know, there is a difference of maybe close to about a, a 100 basis point. We're talking about like, a uh, you know, if a 40, 30-year fixed rate is at five, we're looking at around 4% for ARM. Um, and it's just, uh, this is adjustable with a five year long term. So a lot of people think, well, okay, well, that seems like, you know, that might be a, a good alternative. Yeah. And we're seeing based on, you know, some survey data from Mortgage Bankers Association that that number number of people who uh, decided to go with ARM last year was close to about 3% or earlier this year was close to 3%, but uh, it has jumped to maybe about 10% right. uh, as of now um, because they try to lower the cost of borrowing. Yeah. And so, you know, that is an inherent risk when you have a fixed rate loan, that loan is fixed, right? And you know, with absolute certainty what that payment uh, is, is going to be the folks who are getting into these adjustable rates, you know, there is a kind of risk component to that, mm -hmm. obviously, because you don't know what your payment's going to be. We think that rates are, you know, that most of the increase in rates has been, priced in but you know we don't know if inflation continues to get worse if people just never go back to work if the war in russia escalates and mm -hmm. has a much bigger impact on energy supplies and things like that over a longer period of time then folks could see their loans reset um, to higher interest rates which means you know higher payments and and not everybody right. can always absorb uh an increase in their monthly payment Right. And, and I have to say, though, yeah, the ARM, they, they're definitely more risky. Yeah. Uh, but uh, since the, uh, the the housing market crash 15 years ago, we do have some uh, reforms that are being put in. Um, so they're not as risky as before. And also, yeah. you know, the option ARM that used to be there, yeah. um, it's no longer there. So, you yeah. know, hopefully you're, you're fully amortizing it, at least. So you don't just wake up one day after having <laughs> right. made all your payments on time. And it's like, whoa, what? My payments, 2000 bucks a month more. So there's at least that kind of, you know, um, level of underwriting and things right. like that. And some of the more kind of predatory um, products are are just not available in the market. So it's not a, this, you know, we're not talking about building in systemic risk like we saw back in 2006 uh, and, and seven, but I do think it is telling that we've gone from essentially nothing to 10% of the market. And that is just a, a sign of how much, you know, the <laughs> increase in rates affects consumers. Yeah, and, and it's something that we definitely need to keep uh, our eyes on just to be aware of, you know, the, the higher cost of borrowing and that people are switching to ARM. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we definitely want to keep you guys up to date on that part of it. What about looking forward, you know, because I think that's the big question is like what, you know, what, where's the Fed going and, and what is that ultimately going to mean when the dust settles for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage? I got questions the other day at an outreach mm -hmm. that you know folks wanted to know 
how soon until we go back down to a 2.5% uh, mortgage <laughs> rate. So, what, you know, uh, help us kind of read the tea leaves there. How do you go about figuring that out? Because one of the things you got to do is just kind of look at what they've said. Right, right. Now, uh, obviously, a lot of people look at, you know, the FOMC, you know, minutes, you know, right after uh, the Federal Reserve meet, they usually uh, you know, release their you know, market minutes to talk about what um, they discuss and things like that. But at the same time, in between meetings, we kind of have to hear what other, other uh, some of the presidents and the governors have to say. And, uh, you know, uh, we have heard recently that some governors, the Atlanta Fed President, uh, Rafael Bostic, you mentioned about yeah. that there's, you know, in, in order to control inflation, everything could be on the table. Um, but, you know, you hear you know, things like that every now and then. Yeah. But then, you know, people kind of tone it down a little bit later on. You know, Jerome Powell uh, sometimes will tell you, well, you know, yes, we need to control inflation. But at the same time, we will be keeping our eyes on the economy. The economy. Yeah. Um, and so it really based on, you know, how the economy is going right, uh, has been, uh, is, is doing. Now we have a second quarter, which we will wrap up in, you know, a month and a half or so. If we have things like, okay, while well, the retail sales started showing a little bit of a wobbly economic activity, yeah. um, inflation. We already have one quarter of negative growth, right? That's very true. That's and very true. Inflation wiping out purchasing power. So that's very true. Now, of course, you know, in the second quarter, when that report comes out or in the next few weeks or so, you know, we might have a revisions who knows we may actually get some improvement Uh, but i want to reiterate again we may have mentioned this in our market minutes um, that we sent out weekly that despite the fact that you know the gdp may show a negative number but at the same time you know the impact of that is primarily because of the import export issue external account yeah Right. But what are the, what are the Fed going to do? I mean, I, I can tell you that they probably don't know for sure what they plan on doing. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, they did mention about, OK, well, we will probably have another 50 basis point increase in June. Yeah. Uh, and before the end of the year, most likely another one or two uh, uh, rate increase, whether it be 25 basis point or not, uh, or 50 basis point. It really depends on how the economy is doing. But I think they have been trying to keep it very transparent. And I think a lot of you know, the uncertainties that we were trying to figure out um, may have, and I'm saying it may have, I'm maybe saying it too early, but you know, I think there has been a lot of uncertainty in the early part of the year. I think yeah. that error may have, or that period of time may have passed. We will most likely see interest rate continue to rise, but it may be not as fast paced as what we saw you know, uh, a few weeks ago or, you know, a couple months ago. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think, you know, ultimately, if you just do the math on the dot plot of where they say they're going to be now, right, you get a Mm -hmm. 225 basis point by the end of the year, and you, you know, add on 100 basis points for the yield curve, and you add a 200 basis point spread on top of, of that, you know, then yeah, you're looking at something like five and a half to six and a half. I think, you know, there's a chance that they could even go past mm-hmm. to 2% on the Fed funds rate by sometime next year, right? I think we might get another 
you know, we'll do the June one and then maybe two more 50 basis point each. That will take us to almost 2% on the Fed funds rate or actually even a little higher, I think. And, higher, yeah. and, and so, you know, there's a chance that we could see them go up to 3% next year if inflation persists and, and you know, mom's not successful at kicking these kids you know, out of the basement <laughs> or, or whatever and getting folks back to work. But, you know, that, that means that probably five and a half percent is like a best case scenario for the end of this year, you know, if they get inflation under control and don't have to keep going on these rate hikes and things like that, and it could go as high as six and a half, seven percent by next year if they if they really do have to keep their foot on the on the gas. So, and I think maybe that's why we're getting some some volatility then in in the stock market because you know, a, I think low rate environments which we were just in a very even before the pandemic right we've just been in a very very low rate environment for treasuries and money markets and things like that and like low low rates really you know drive up the cost of assets or the value of assets because it's the only game uh in town right as rates start to come back around it both creates this kind of macroeconomic risk that we already talked about you can also like get find a one or two percent money market again um and and i think that takes some of this you know steam away from from the stock market but but regardless it's definitely kind of had a lot of ups and downs over the last couple of weeks yeah, definitely, you know, um, with interest rates, uncertainty, with inflation, uh, but also the fact that we are slowly coming back out, you know, from the pandemic, even True. though, of course, we do have, still have COVID cases, um, and we expect, you know, some additional COVID cases, you know, in the fall, but, you know, as we come out, you know, to a more, quote unquote, normal um, economy, there are some, there were some stocks that were priced, especially in the tech sectors, that were priced according to, you know, the pandemic scenario, uh, things that people will do at home when they're, you know, confined uh, uh, because of the shutdown, you know, things, stocks that, you know, uh, benefit during a pandemic, um, they started realizing, people started, realizing, uh, the market started realizing, well, maybe, uh, you know, those stocks, those, those, those stocks may not be valued as much because the pandemic era is kind of uh, uh, slowing down a little bit. Right. So that create a lot of volatility in the tech sectors. Uh, obviously, you know, we are seeing NASDAQ as, uh, as well as you know, Dow Jones and the S&P, you know, um, coming down uh, by you know, 15%-ish or so, 20%-ish or so because of those uncertainty. I Absolutely. think the uncertainty first started with, you know, when we have the, the war. Ukraine, Russia wall, and then of course, supply constraints. Those are all uncertainties that create some volatility in the stock market. Um, is that volatility going away anytime soon? I mean, I, you and I both are not exactly financial market you know, economists, so we can't really say too much, but we are seeing you know, those volatility. And yeah. I think as long as we have the inflation concerns, uh, uncertainty as well as well as you know the uncertainty about whether we could possibly get into a, a recession you know those uncertainties will continue to create some uh, fluctuation in the market financial I, market i think so and and honestly just the valuation levels which i've been looking at the kind of value of the stock relative mm -hmm. to total corporate profits for a long time and they're they're you know stocks are not they're they're not based on what these companies are earning. I was trying to find a nice way to say it, but these, these valuations <laughs> just are not backed up by, by the incomes that are being generated. This is all kind of hopeful um, for the future, right? right About right. future earnings. And that's what these valuations are, are based on. And, and to me, that's a huge vulnerability because at, at some point, you know, fundamentals kind of 
take back over. And I do think that there's just some kind of uh, fluff in there in the system, as it were, that needs to, to or that, you know, is, is a potential vulnerability. So I do think that, you know, especially in the context of some kind of economic shock where inflation does start to overtake you know, the, the income growth and things like that to really actually um, produce meaningful reductions in consumer spending, then, you know, that, that is something that, again, leads us to recession, which could kind of further these financial market changes. Yeah. And I think part of it also is, you know, when things look very, very positive, um, it is very possible that, you know, when things look positive, people are very optimistic. And so uh, that's why you have the uh, stock market, uh, people in the stock market started uh, uh, you know, pricing it in a little bit higher. But when things don't, may not look as positive, when we're seeing, you know, there are signs that, you know, there might be a recessions, their inflation is out of control, people get very, very negative. And that, then op- that optimism that we had, let's say a year ago, suddenly vanished. And so yeah. people get very pessimistic and, you know, in a financial market, you know, the, uh, the volatility tend to uh, uh, implies that people overreact, you know, yeah. one way or the other. And, and you see it in consumer confidence too, right? right it can right. turn on a, on a dime, right? That like, it's always good uh, until it's not, which kind of is, it brings me to my next <laughs> question which is you know how are consumers holding up to this because they're dealing with a lot everything costs more as we mentioned housing costs a lot more you know if you're an employer you can't find um, workers to come fill these open positions and things like that but at least in nominal terms they continue to um, spend more right so they're drawing down savings they're using the credit cards to continue that that growth they do spend more. We just re- you got a report, you know, on the April retail sales. And as you mentioned, consumer confidence could fluctuate. Uh, but what they actually do really is depends on, you know, the retail sales and consumer spending. So, you know, it, it, it looks like, you know, based on our April sales number, retail sales actually increased uh, slightly by about, you know, 0.9% uh, mm-hmm. compared to the previous month, um, uh, pre- uh, March. And compared to the pre-pandemic level, we're still close to twenty or close to thirty percent higher than the pre-pandemic level. Wow. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, some of those retail sales increase that we're seeing in April, um, those are uh, partly because of inflation. But right. we are seeing some uh, uh, improvement uh, in both the service sector as well as the goods. Actually, uh, you know, when uh, since the uh, COVID situation is sort of under control, we're seeing actually more spending at the bars, restaurants, yeah. um, and you know, clothing and electronics. Um, and this month, I mean, and you, you and I both ask, you know, is the inflation actually playing a role in um, the increase in retail sales since the retail sales number typically do not account uh, inflation? Right. Um, surprisingly, though, uh, for the month of April, um, we actually, we actually, the real, uh, uh, real retail sales number actually is higher than the nominal. Yeah. Um, and the reason being that goods price actually slide down a little bit by yeah. in April by 0.3%, which hopefully that's a good sign that the inflation is under control and, you know, people are spending more. Yeah, but I mean, you know, ultimately, I I, I kind of look at this as a cautionary note too, mm-hmm. because if you think back to the, um, you know, eight point three percent increase right. in in 
inflation and this ongoing growth in real retail sales, right, then that means, you know, to get a 1.2% growth rate on top of 8.3% inflation or whatever it is, right, that, you know, ultimately, it, it, it's coming at the expense of the fundamentals, right, that people really are having to dip into savings now to kind of keep this stuff going. And actually, on a year to year basis, I think also, that will start to tell because it was down um, from from last year's level, right, the real retail sales number. And so I think that 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 could also be another source of potential risk moving forward is not just the financial markets and, and but also on the consumer spending side, because again, a lot of these folks have not gone back to work yet. Um, even though the jobs numbers have largely rebounded, that labor force participation shows a lot of people not getting back into the mix and all these um, higher prices. And I I think the, the BEA showed a savings rate decline in their most recent monthly data too. So, you know, there's there's only so long that that can persist for. And I think once you take the consumer spending away, um, that it means that, you know, the, the economic growth probably won't be as robust over the next 12 months as it has been over the last 12 months. And, and you know, that's whether we go into recession or not, I think we can just kind of um, count on sl slower growth moving forward regardless. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, your perspective is uh, in line with, uh, you know, just a report that was released this morning by, you know, the, by Walmart. You know, Walmart oh, actually has a similar uh, uh, concerns, um, even though um, in the first quarter they actually had, you know, the uh, yeah, sales showing that, you know, it's, it's, it, it grew, but, at a, uh, but because of the profit margins actually being lowered. And their projections for you know what the economy or what their sales is going to be like uh, in the future uh, is not as um, right. as high as what people might expect expected. And right. Walmart obviously is one of the biggest um, retail sales. So of course, when they say something, um, then you kind of listen and take a yeah. look at it, for right? Sure. So. Um, I think a lot of economists um, have been taking a very cautionary uh, note of what's going on because of you know all the uncertainty and uh, what's going on with inflation. Yeah. What about the housing market? The housing market is very much a kind of on the one hand, on the other hand story as always. But we just put out the April data as we record yes. this here today, and I think you know on on the one hand the numbers look very solid from the standpoint mm -hmm. of all of the volatility and uncertainty that we already talked about up to this point in in the podcast because we had almost 420,000 units of transactions and the median price is getting dangerously close now to a $900,000 yeah, number 884,890 um, was was the April number and it's still a pretty competitive um, market environment, right? Unsold inventory, very low. Median time on market, very low. We're still seeing about 70% of homes sell above asking price mm -hmm. and the sales to list price ratio is still, you know, actually going up. It was 104.2% last month. And that's even with a, a finally now, you know, the monthly data is showing that 5% rate that we've been seeing uh, right, right. stuff for for a while. So from that standpoint, those numbers are all incredible um, given, given you know, how many challenges are, are out there. But if you kind of scratch the hood of those numbers, I think looking forward, there's reason to be more 
cautious and and i've been counseling folks to keep you know their their nose to the grindstone this year no matter what but i think even more so um we're, we're gonna start seeing that show up in the actual hard data on transactions and things like that as we move into the second half of the year yeah and and you know we have been talking about okay well five percent interest rates going to five percent and we have been getting questions, you know, ourselves from uh, people whom we talk to uh, when we do outreaches. Uh, they they ask you, okay, well, it's it gets up to five percent. At some point, the cost of borrowing is going to have an effect on you know people's desire to buy, right? Right. They ask us, and of course, based on you know March number, February's number, it may not show. And we have talked about this in our our press release also. You know, some of those close those numbers reflect you know. Uh, uh, um, interest rates that apply to the open escrow a month ago. Right. So now it is start it starts showing up. You know when we when we look at the April number when we look at the April um, mortgage rates at five percent that's going to show up in the May data right. and that's why when you look at the pending sales number the open escrow sales we do see that you know pending sales uh, is uh, showing a decline a pretty hefty decline compared to you know a, a year ago. Um, that's why, you know, Jordan, you said, uh, you know, starting in May, we probably will see a little bit of a slowdown, um, maybe not, not just a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit uh, in, in May sales, um, especially since, you know, the, the uh, price, uh, median price at the state level is hitting close to 900,000. Now, I have to, I have to um, remind everyone, uh, I think we talked about this before, that 900,000 obviously is a high number, but at the same time, it has a lot to do with the mix of sales as well. Especially this month, right? Because Especially we've seen the month. share of, of homes above a million that were, you know, At 35% been, yeah. High as it has been, 35%. And um, it, it, that actually pulled, you know, median price up uh, a little bit now is it because we are seeing more sales in the bay area that are more expensive central coast or maybe you know some of the areas in southern california it could be you know a combination of things it's just also could be just a high-end price high-end homes and selling a little bit uh, uh being a little bit stronger in that market right um and and we do anticipate possibly um in may um we may see a little bit higher in price just to uh uh, let everyone know uh, ahead of yeah, time that there's break. a possibility just because the mix of sales may be even higher, you know, in, in, in May. Yeah. Uh, and that the, um, we can see that, you know, the high end home uh, market is a little bit stronger for yeah, multiple reasons. It's holding up better. And I think there's interest rate sensitivity there and all of that stuff. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're taking out a $4 million mortgage, then, you know, even more so you have a motivation to do it at 5% before it gets up to five and a half or six or wherever it ends up um, actually, actually going. What about the supply story, right? Because on the one hand, right. you know, the supply stories, we talked about 1.8 months of active inventory, right? Which is actually up a little bit from 1.6 months this time um, last year. And the number of active listings, the you know, the number that are actually available on the MLS, end of April, whatever, um, for sale is up by double digits, right? But there's kind of two reasons why active listings can change, right? Either because we're right. putting a bunch of listings onto the market, 
or because you know the homes that we have on the market aren't selling and so we're kind of carrying more forward into the next month uh every time do you have any sense of you know which of the two is is going on or is it a mix of both or does it depend on where across the state we look or price segment or what I think yeah, it's a mix of both, but it's also because uh, uh, depend on the geographic location. So on the service, it does shows that wow, it is increasing by you know more than twenty percent. That's right. great news. We have been looking for more active listings. Yeah. That's great because active listing, more active listings will eventually lead to you know slower pace of growth in price. So that's Less great. You know, it helps for affordability. Buyers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But then we 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 you know we look under the uh, the service a little bit, and then we realize yeah, active listings increase quite a bit. But what about new active listings? You know, if new active listings increase, that means we are going we are seeing people put their house up on the market. Well, you know, if you look at new active listing on a year over year basis, though, it's actually virtually flat or unchanged compared to last year. Right. So, so it's not because we're we're seeing all these motivated sellers say yes, this is a great time to sell. It's actually maybe um, the interest rate putting the squeeze on some of those buyers and and kind of causing not as many of the homes to transact. Right. I mean, combined with the fact that what we have talked about, the pending sales actually slowed down quite a bit. Right. So you know when you continue to add the same number of active listings, so there is no uh, additional new active. I mean, there there are new active listings being added, just when compared to last year, not higher. But if you add the same level of new active listing, but at the same time your pending sales actually drop, obviously right. you have more left over, like what Jordan just said. Um, carrying over so it creates the, the 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 sort of facade that okay well we have more at new uh, active we have more active listing at the same time also you you mentioned it earlier we have to take a look at you know where the new active listings are right i mean are we adding new active listing across the board uh, all increasing at the same level um, when we look at individual uh, regional level it uh, tells something a little different Right. Um, and that I think is just another kind of cautionary note, right? Is that, mm -hmm. yes, we've been waiting for the inventory and yes, it's going up by 20% in April, but not necessarily for the right reasons right mm -hmm. now in the central Valley and the far North and these other regions, they did see a, you know, 13 plus percent increase, not in total actives, but in the number that were actually put onto the MLS Mm -hmm. last month right which that is real honest to goodness increase in actives for the right reason um there but even there i i kind of caution you about getting too excited because keep in mind these are the parts of the state that saw huge influxes of high income people in 2020 right. that really drove you know the same markets to grow by 20 and 30 and even 40 percent in some cases in the sierra Nevada foothills and um you know lake shasta area and tahoe and big bear and all of that stuff and and you know they saw as a result of that huge surge in demand a huge surge in home prices and so this you know these potentially could be um, folks who live in these markets who saw prices get pumped up that are um, now thinking about kind of cashing in and and so we'll be watching that one very very closely but I, I you know I think that even as as we had again a very strong month all things considered in housing for April you know under the hood whether it's the pending numbers you know whether it's the the reasons why active listings are are going up I think do give us some 
some sense that, you know, as we've projected that the second half of the year is going to be much slower um, than, than what we've seen over the last 18 or 18 months or even 24 months throughout the pandemic, where we just had such an incredible head of steam in, in housing. And so, you know, recession or no, it's a nose to the grindstone marketplace. We've got to get, you know, buyers to, to kind of look at where rates are going and realize that it's a good time to get in over the long run, focus on, you know, buying a home that you can afford and, and getting in for the long term and accumulating that wealth, get sellers to want to sell that home and get into their next home while the getting's good on rates as well, right? Because again, by the end of next year or even uh, mid next year, we could see a six and a half, seven percent mortgage rate depending on what happens with inflation. So it's still always a good time to buy and sell a home. It's not that, um, but it's just that, you know, we have a lot of macroeconomic risk and uncertainty out there that, you know, whether it drives us into recession or, or not probably means we're going to downshift from this record pace of just activity that we've seen over the last two years. So, yeah. And, and uh, I, I want to reiterate, you know, it is not, we're, even though we're seeing a slowdown, uh, possible slowdown in the second half of the year in sales, it's not something like what we saw, you know, 15 years ago, because um, when, when, you know, sales slow down, price slow down significantly, I mean, we're going to see some, you know, slow down price growth, but it's not like what we saw 15 years ago, because part of it is because we, we stressed a lot, uh, uh, every now and then about, you know, people having equity in their house. Yeah. You know, they Better fundamentals, more right. equity, right. Not right. a bunch of crazy borrowing habits. And so people don't necessarily have to, you know, throw their keys back to lenders like, you know, the, the housing market crash 15 years ago. So you may see some slowdown in sales. You may see an increase in supply. Um, yeah. And I will probably say the increase in supply will probably not even go back to that four months that we always say is right. normal. Yeah. But it's going to go up a little bit and you will probably see some slow uh, price growth, which is well needed. Yeah, that's a good thing. Let's give incomes a chance to catch up so we can get affordability under control. And, and you know, I think that is is the kind of um, the recipe for the soft landing that hopefully we can pull off without pushing the economy into a, a recession. But so far, again, the data up to this point is very, very strong. And, you know, we, we would have expected to see buyer demand pull back much more than mm -hmm. we have already up to this point. So still a lot uh, going for us. That passion for home ownership is alive and well, just a lot more uh, hoops and obstacles and challenges and things like that for them to navigate, which is good news for you as a real estate professional, because your clients need you more than ever. You just Absolutely. need to make sure that you kind of uh, bring your A game in, in terms of being that trusted advisor and, and you know, given that expertise that they so desperately need. So I think we've gone on for almost an hour at this point. <laughs> I know it's a lot to digest, but is there anything that we should touch on before we leave it, Oscar? I think we covered it pretty thoroughly, um, and, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, if we miss anything, I'm sure our listener will let us know and send us the questions. Please do. Yeah, we work for you. So if we missed anything that you uh, desperately want to know, just email Oscar or I uh, and we'll get you an answer. Otherwise, we'll just continue to monitor the data. We'll be knee deep in spreadsheets until uh, the next one so that we can make sure that you know everything you need to to make your business uh, great this year. So we'll go ahead and leave it there. Thank you all for listening. Episode 95 of the Housing Matters podcast. We're coming up on the triple digit. So Oscar, thank you so much for your time and expertise. You, we always appreciate you. And we'll We'll see y'all on the next one. See ya.